morning, church. Come on, give them a big hand. We thank you for being here. I thank all of you for uh, setting your clocks ahead. So that way I'm not the only one at church this morning. I appreciate that. I really feel the love. Can we turn my microphone down just a little bit? Am I loud? No, not too bad? I plan on screaming, so I didn't want to be too much more loud. Okay, well, we'll turn it down just a little bit, so. Well, good. I'm glad you made it this morning, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk this morning about doubt. Say doubt. doubt. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you doubted anything ever in your life? Raise your hand. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Have you ever doubted if Jesus is who he really is? Have you ever doubted the power of Jesus? I don't think any of us cannot raise our hand this morning. Especially, and isn't it funny how it usually happens when things are going crazy for us? And we need God to show up. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago that God's rarely early, but he's always on time. And boy, he likes to push the time, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're like, come on, God, you know. I mean, this is ridiculous. Seriously, you're God. You can show up a little bit earlier. You ever had that conversation before? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about doubt, and I want to show you through the life of John the Baptist. How many of you know about John the Baptist, right? John was the one that was sent ahead of Jesus to go and prepare the way for Jesus, for Jesus' arrival. And so go with me to the book of John in chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 26. I want, to, I want to read to you John's confession when he realizes who Jesus is. And then I'm going to show you how later on in life John doubted who Jesus was. Verse 26, John told them, I, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone, who do, who, someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have, ba- I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know that he, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, watch this, he told me, I lost my spot. He told me the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testified that he is the chosen one of God. Now, John's in the wilderness. Let me let me give you a little bit of the the background. John's in the wilderness at a river. Okay, he's not in some church somewhere. He's baptizing people in a river it's it's basically out in the woods and he's baptizing and he's telling the people that there's one coming who's greater than i am 
John makes the confession. He says that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. John's making this confession. You hear this. I'm preparing the way for the one. Say the one. Say it again. The one. I'm preparing the way for the one who is much greater than I am. Now, John didn't have the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know that he was the chosen one of God yet. But it's funny how God set John up and said to him, when you see the Holy Spirit descend and light on him like a dove, then you will know that he is the one. And we see here very clearly that John got the revelation of who Jesus is. Right? Jesus is coming up and what does he say? Look, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. That was his declaration when Jesus walked up to the crowd. There was a crowd of people. There was religious people there who were checking out John to see if he was right, to see, you know, what, what's going on, what's all the ruckus with these people. They're not at church, so they must be out in the, they're out in the woods, in the river. Let's go find out what's happening. They asked John if he was the Messiah. John said, oh, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. He said, he said, I'm the one going before the one. And so John makes the confession. Look, behold, the Lamb of God. It's funny, but John says that twice. Look, look further down. He says it up in verse, verse 29. And then he says it again further down. Having problems seeing this morning. Must have been too much crawfish last night. My eyes are a little salty, and there's, uh, you know, something's going on. But, but twice he says, "Look, the Lamb of God." He makes a declaration. He sees the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove, and he gets the revelation that this is the one. This is the Messiah. There's no doubt. He makes the confession. Right? We usually don't confess something until we get a revelation of it. Right? Now go with me to Matthew chapter 11. There's some of you here this morning, at one point in your life, you knew Jesus and Jesus knew you very well. But for some reason or another, through doubt or fear or maybe some things that you've gone through, you found yourself in a place where you're out of relationship with Jesus. You don't really know him anymore. You're having a hard time because you're doubting you're doubting if he can show up. You're doubting if he, who, if he is who he says he is. You're doubting if he is the one. Amen? Matthew 11, verses 1 to 6. Watch what happens with John. Now, at this point, John the Baptist is in prison. He's getting ready to be beheaded. He corrected one of the kings for marrying one of the other kings' wife or something and all this stuff. So they threw him in jail, and they're going to they're cut his head off. And he's, he's in prison, and John has his own disciples, and he tells his disciples, watch this. He says, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? You see what John says? Are you the Messiah? He tells, he tells his disciples, go and ask this Jesus if he is the Messiah. We just read in John that he declared that Jesus was the one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
But now because he's in prison and he's got his, his eyes focused on his own condition, he's doubting. How many of you ever do that? How many of you ever just kind of focus on yourself? Maybe your kids are acting a little crazy. Maybe, maybe you've got some things going on at work. Maybe it's, it's some physical issues you're going through. Maybe it's some financial issues. But you, you take your eyes off of the one and we put our eyes on who? Do, do, do this for me. Stick your hand out and put your thumb up. Now focus on your thumb. Notice how your fingernail isn't cut just right and your cuticles are kind of jacked up. And, you know, you see that old scar and you're thinking about the time you wrecked your go-kart and, you know, you cut that callus off and it, it really wasn't a good thing. But because you're focused on your thumb, you can't see what's going on around you, Right? You know, in life, that's what happens to us when we focus on ourselves, And we get our eyes off of the one. The one. We stop focusing on the one. We stop pursuing the one. We stop praying to the one. We stop believing in the one. Right? Because we all have the tendency to fix it ourselves. Right? Because we want God to show up early and not on time. Right? Come on, you need to, confession is good for the soul. Verse 4, watch, watch how Jesus responds to John's doubt. I mean, John, listen, John had it. John understood. He baptized Jesus. He was standing next to him when the Holy Spirit came down and landed on his shoulders. John was more close and and, and more intimate with Jesus than anybody else was in that moment. So there should be no doubt, right? I mean, if you sit here and you look at this, you go, man, how can John the Baptist doubt? I mean, he's literally standing there when the Holy Spirit comes down. I mean, this wasn't just like some kind of fluke thing. I mean, this this was real. All the disciples in the other accounts give give the account that, that it looked like a dove lighting on his shoulders. But he's doubting. He's in prison and he's doubting. Watch Jesus' response. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Watch this verse. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now, why would he say that? God blesses those who do not turn away because of Jesus. You want to know what John's problem was? John started doubting that Jesus was who he was because John was in the situation he was in. You see, when God or Jesus doesn't look like what we want him to look like, what do we do? We doubt. When he doesn't show up, when we want him to show up, what do we do? We doubt. We didn't answer the prayers that we've been crying out for the way that we want him to answer them. We doubt when he doesn't heal you as quickly as you want to be healed. We doubt. Right. When he doesn't show up early, we doubt when somebody dies and we prayed our guts out for them. What do we do? We doubt. Right. When you can't get past your addiction, you doubt. When you can't get past the pain from your past, 
Whether somebody touched you, somebody did something to you, somebody took advantage of you or treated you wrong, when you can't get past that pain years after years, you doubt. This Jesus can't be real because I'm still hurting. You see, the difference is is that Jesus has never changed. We change. Jesus never changed from the day he was baptized. John changed. Why did John change? Because he let his circumstances change him. Come on. I mean, he's in prison about to be beheaded. I would be thinking, all right, Jesus, you come and break me out or what? I mean, bro, don't don't make me remind you, I baptized you. I've been talking trash about you. I've been building you up, Jesus. Come on, get me out of prison. But when he doesn't show up, John doubts, right? The question this morning is, is are you going to believe that Jesus is who he is no matter what happens? Whether he shows up like you want him to or not? You know the problem the Pharisees and all these religious folks had with Jesus? Is that he didn't dress like a Messiah. He didn't act like the Messiah according to what they wanted to see. They wanted somebody in white robes with processions and parades, with thrones. They wanted, that, that was their image of the Messiah. But because he didn't come like that, he came with a regular robe, some broke down sandals, riding on a donkey. They didn't believe that he was Jesus. I can't help but believe if John the Baptist doubted, we all struggle with doubt. Amen. And Jesus tells him, he says, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You know what he's saying? That God blesses those that stay faithful. God blesses those that no matter what they think I'm supposed to be, no matter what they think I'm supposed to look like, if I don't look like that and if I ain't that, they continue to stay faithful. God blesses those people. That was his words of encouragement to John was basically, John, you just keep on going. Don't doubt. Don't waver. When he takes too long, we doubt. Isn't it funny how when we suffer too long, we doubt? Listen, I'm not, I'm, I don't like pain, okay? I don't do sick well. You can ask my wife. That's why God rarely lets me get sick. It's for grace for my wife. Because I may be mean and, and, and not lean, but mean and on the outside. But when I get sick, I turn into this big old teddy bear and I, I just want to be tat-tat. Right? That's, my, that's God's grace to my wife. But when he don't show up fast enough, we begin to doubt. What does that doubt look like? For some of us, we go inward with it, and it starts to look like we start going, well, I must not be living right. If Jesus didn't heal me, then I must not be living right. Maybe I shouldn't have slipped up and said that cuss word, and then maybe he would have healed me. Anybody ever think like that? Maybe if I wouldn't have ate the second helping of Bluebell, then he would have healed me. The third tray of crawfish, then he would have healed me. Right? 
And then some of us go, well, he's just not who he says he is. Evidently, he can heal a few colds and maybe a little bit of bronchitis, but he can't heal my hurts. Some of us believe that God can heal certain things and not other things. Right? And then some of us fall into this victim mentality that I've got the greatest problem in the world and even God himself cannot fix my problem. Right? You've heard me say I want to make a trophy and hand it out to the person who has the worst story. It's the greatest victims award. Right? So you better not complain about your problems. You might get a trophy. But if he doesn't show up, then we, do, we begin to not believe that he is who he says he is. Let's continue on in verse 7. And I want you to see right now in these next couple of verses, I want you to see Jesus' attitude towards John's doubt. All right? When you read your Bible, you need to be listening for attitudes. You need to be looking for attitudes. You need to see how Jesus responded What was his reaction? Because when you understand how he reacts to John the Baptist, then you can understand how he's going to react to you when you doubt. Amen? Verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. He was talking behind John's back. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer to when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, I tell you the truth, all of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. In other words, aggressive people are entering it. That's what that means. It's not that people have been attacking the kingdom of heaven. It means that aggressive people have been entering the kingdom of heaven. For before John came, all the prophets and the the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Look at how Jesus responds about John the Baptist. His disciples come. Jesus was in the middle of preaching and teaching. And John's disciples come and they say, are you really the Messiah or should we continue to wait? And Jesus says, well, go tell him what you've seen and heard and tell him just to stand firm that God's going to bless him. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he begins to build John up to the people in the crowd. He says things like, John is the greatest of all who ever lived. None is greater than John the Baptist. You know what he was saying? That Moses was not greater than John the Baptist. Abraham was not greater than John the Baptist. David was not greater than John the Baptist. That's what, that's what Jesus was saying. Then he turns it around and he says, and let me say it to you this way. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. You know that's a promise for us. That's his way of saying to us that the least in my kingdom. Now, we know what the, how you become the least, right? 
It's the one who serves, not the one that's being served. Jesus said the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He appreciates the servant. But he builds John up. He's not wavered by John's doubt. Jesus isn't taken off a course because of John's doubt. Are you hearing me? It's funny, but some of us only reach out to Jesus when things get bad enough. Right? The problem is, is how do you define what's bad enough? I believe the new normal now is to live with the bad until it gets bad enough. Right? Listen, I wish I grew up in this day and age. I wouldn't have been beat half the times I was beat when I was a kid. Amen? I mean, kids get away with stuff these days. Put their parents through hell. And I look and I go, man, I'd have had two black eyes, a broke neck, limping to school, and the teacher wouldn't have asked me if my mom abused me. She'd have said, what you did wrong? Right? Knucklehead? But we live with this new normal called bad. We don't live the abundant life that Jesus promised. We don't live a life of peace that he promised. Right? We live with this new normal of bad, and then until it gets bad enough, then we reach out to Jesus, right? Till your pain gets bad enough, then you finally reach out. When the whole time he's saying, I got this life for you, this abundant life, a life of peace. Doesn't mean you're not going to go through anything, because listen to me, when you give your life to Jesus, all hell breaks loose in your life. You'll never hear me say that when you give your life to Jesus, everything goes fine. Because I would be lying. Life was fine before I met Jesus. The devil didn't mess with me before I met Jesus. Right? But buddy, when I gave my life to Jesus, here he came with all his little imps. And everything started going crazy. But what I had to learn was that in the midst of everything going on, he still gives peace. There's crazier things going on in my life today than there has ever been, and I have peace. Why? Because my peace is found in the one. My past hurts and wounds have been healed because of the one. I've never been to a psychiatrist. I've never been to a counselor. The only counselor I've ever met with has been the Holy Spirit. And God has healed me from all the things that happened in my past. The one has healed me. I didn't heal myself. He healed me. He took away the pains that my father left me with. The scars that my daddy scarred me with. He took that away. And only he can take that away. He broke my addictions. He broke my bondages. Only he can. The one only the one. I tried. Other people tried. But they never could. Because only Jesus can heal me. Only Jesus can touch me. Now he used other people from time to time. A lot of times he used people to bump into me. To make those things come out. And there's people he's going to put in your life. 
that are like sandpaper. We call it spiritual sandpaper. They're going to get up next to you, and they're going to frustrate you, and then your anger issue is going to come out. That's what he did to me. You getting something yet? We're only reaching out when it gets bad enough. The question is, is how bad is bad enough? And are you tired of living with bad enough? Are you tired of living with no peace, no rest for your soul? I can remember being tormented inside. Everything looked fine on the outside. We had it together. My car was clean. My clothes were clean and ironed. I had everything. I put a smile on my face. Everything looked good on the outside. But on the inside, there was a tornado going on. I was still hurt from my daddy. I was still hurt from things in my past. I was still mad at God because my mama died early. Are you hearing me? On the inside was this storm going on. Only Jesus healed it. Only Jesus calmed the storm. Amen? How long do we want to put up with that? How long do we want to live in that? Jesus built John up. He wasn't mad at John. He wasn't shaken by John's doubt. It's as if Jesus already knows we're going to doubt. You remember Thomas, doubting Thomas, one of the disciples? He, he doubted. What did Jesus say to him? Well, come over here, Thomas. Put your finger in this hole. See for yourself. He wasn't mad at him. He didn't condemn him. What did he say? Keep on going. Keep on going. Don't doubt. God blesses those that keep on going. Amen? He blesses those that keep on going. Some of us have heard enough about Jesus to get us in trouble. Right? We know enough about him just to keep him at a distance. We know enough about Jesus to put him in this little box, or at least try to, right? Because we all want to do that. We want to make Jesus who we want him to be, right? It's kind of like your TV. You can, now you can program your TV to record shows so that you have time to watch them, and you can do these things, and you can control the TV with a remote control. And you can do, A lot of us want to make Jesus that in our lives. We want to control him. We want to put him in a box, and we want him to heal us only when we're ready for a healing. We want him to touch us only when we're ready for him to touch us. We don't ever want him to correct us. Right? When's the last time you prayed and said, Lord, please show me something wrong in my life? <laughs> That's crazy prayer. Or, Lord, examine my heart. <laughs> Most of them are like, hey, Lord, see you tomorrow. Right? We want to get out of there before he says something. But we try to make him what we want him to be. And when he doesn't become what we want him to be, we doubt and we waver. Amen? Listen, my kids can go crazy when they become teenagers. I can't control that. I can to a degree, right? Because I've been pouring into their life from the first day. I'm doing the best. We're doing the best that we can. But there's no guarantees that when they become 16 years old, they're not going to go haywire, Right? I was raised in church three times on Sunday. I'm serious. I played at the Methodist church at 6 o'clock. I played the organ. That was my first job. I made $35 an hour. One hour a week. <laughs> I was rich for all. 
I, that's what I said to my buddies. I'm making 35 an hour. So I would play at the, the 6 or 6.30 service at the Methodist church. Then I would go to the Baptist church and I would play there. First go through Sunday school for an hour. Then go into the big church. You remember we used to call it big church. Go into big church and play the organ there. And then we'd go home. And I would come back that afternoon and play the organ again. I was in church three times on Sunday. My mama beat me on a regular occasion. I'm serious. She did everything in her power to raise me the right way. I still went crazy. I still put her through you know what. But you know what? My mama stayed focused. She doubted from time to time. But honestly, to look at her life, she stayed focused. And she pressed on, believing for me, encouraging me. And I'll never forget the day she's laying in the hospital. She's in a semi-coma and she can barely communicate. And I was sitting with her that night and I was just overwhelmed by how bad I treated her. And I went and I knelt down next to her bed and I said, Mama, I'm sorry. And then I said, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up. Amen. You know who did that to me? You know who showed me my error? Who, who convicted my heart? The one did. And I thank God that I had that opportunity to say those things to my mom. Because that would have been something else he'd have had to heal me from, from my past. Right? Go with me to John chapter 3. You all know this verse, John 3.16. If you watch football, you know this verse, right? I want to show you a few things around this verse. I really want you to see the heart of Jesus this morning. You may be here. You may be a believer who's doubting. You may be an unbeliever who's heard about Jesus, and you're having a hard time surrendering your life to him. Let me, let me say something to you this morning. I want you to see his heart for you. This is his heart towards you, so take this personally. Verse 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In other words, you're not going to bust the gates of hell wide open. You're going to live in heaven. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. He sent Jesus not to pass judgment on you not to condemn you, not to knock you down, but to save you and to give you an abundant life and to take you from spiritual death into spiritual life. That's salvation. Salvation is not going from drinking to not drinking or smoking to not smoking. Salvation is that he's taking you from spiritual death into spiritual life. He came not to judge you, but to save you. When he was on the cross, he thought about saving you. When he was in the garden begging God to take this cup from him, he, he saw your face and he said, no, I cannot. I cannot bail out of this. I got to go to the cross. They need to be saved. God is for us and not against us. Only the devil will try to tell you that God is mad at you and he's against you and he don't love you anymore and you've gone too far. Amen. 
It's funny how this word one keeps coming up. Verse 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one. John the Baptist said the one, the one, the one. Are you hearing me this morning? The one, the one. The only way out of your state of confusion is through the one. Amen? The only way to get past your past is the one. The only way to receive forgiveness is through the one. Amen? Medication can't solve or fix what you got going on in your mind or your emotions or in your physical body. It cannot. Only the one can. Are you hearing me this morning? Only the one can keep you going forward and not turning around and going backwards. Only the one can save your marriage. Only the one can save your kids. Only the one can save you. And that's Jesus. Only Jesus can save you. You can't save yourself. You know why they say you can't save yourself? Because there's always one hand free. You may can nail this arm to the cross. You may can nail your feet to the cross. But you always got one hand free. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can heal you. Amen? He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. Go back with me to Matthew. We're going to close this up. Are you seeing Jesus' attitude towards you this morning? He's for you. He's not against you. Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, underline me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I, underline I, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Seven times in those three verses, Jesus refers to himself. He says, only I, only me. He says, come to me. It's an invitation. Come to me. What is he, who is he talking about? He's talking about everyone who is weary. Anybody weary this morning? Anybody carrying heavy burdens this morning? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is. A yoke is what they used to, to, to tie two cattle together when they were pulling a plow. It was something that, that kept you close to the person. Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon your back. In other words, Connect yourself with me and let's go through this life together. And he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. (laughs) He says, I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. In other words, the tormenting can go away. The tornado can go away. The restlessness can go away. How many of you lost sleep lately? You don't have to raise your hands, but you've lost sleep lately due to stress. 
due to anxiety, maybe worried about one of your kids or worried about something you got going on. Some of you might be hiding something and you're worried that somebody's going to find it out. Jesus says, come to me, all of you. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. Wow. It's pretty simple. Right? It's pretty simple. There's only one way. There's only one person. There's only one. Your doctor is not your solution. Your psychiatrist is not your solution. Your counselor is not your solution. And your best friend definitely ain't your solution. Amen? Chances are they're probably more whack than you are. Right? And they're just taking notes on your life so it'll help them with their life. Right? Only Jesus can. Amen? John the Baptist doubted and Jesus didn't hold it against him. John the Baptist wondered if Jesus is who he really is. But Jesus didn't hold it against him. He said, come on, champ, just keep going. I'm 38 years old. I've been serving Jesus for 12 or 13 years now. Not one time has he let me down. Not one time has he not been there for me. My marriage is as great as it is because of Jesus. My relationship with my kids is as great as it is because of Jesus. Amen? Anything good in me is because of Jesus. And the crazy thing is is that he's still working. And many of you that know me say, yep, he is. And buddy, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Well, I know you too, and he's got a lot of work now. Can you stand up with me this morning? Jesus says, come to me. The Bible in Revelation says that, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. In other words, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart this morning. And he's saying, let me in. Please let me in. If you let me in, I'll come and we'll sit down together. And we'll do life together. That's his, that's, that's his heart this morning. That's his invitation this morning. So I believe this. That this morning we have believers here and we have non-believers here. Or unbelievers. And it doesn't matter which one you fall under. It doesn't matter which one you are. The invitation is the same. How many of you want peace in your life? How many of you want rest for your soul? How many of you are tired of battling with the things that you've been battling with? How many of you are ready to surrender this morning? And make Jesus the Lord of your life? He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. Heavy burdened. So the worship team is going to play this morning and we're just going to have a time of invitation. If you want to meet Jesus for the first time, you come forward. I'll pray with you and I'll introduce you to him. And 
If, you've, if you're a believer and you've doubted and you may need to repent, you may need to ask him for forgiveness or, or surrender your heart to him again, if that's you, then come forward this morning. Amen? The invitation's here. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. He said, if you're, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So that means the opposite is true, is that if you're not ashamed of me, then I'm not ashamed of you. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for all that you've given us. Jesus, thank you that you're the one, the only one. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. As John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, is coming. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the Lamb of God. Not only you can take away the sins of the world. Thank you that you're the only one that can heal our broken hearts. You're the only one that can touch us in the most intimate places of our lives, Lord. You're the healer. You're the provider. You're the the savior of the world. You didn't come to judge us, but you came to save us. So right now, I just want whoever you are, you're feeling a tugging on your heart. I just want you to come forward. The rest of you can bow your heads. Just come forward and surrender. I studied this message and I had to surrender. I had to repent. Just studying it. Just learning it again for myself. Father, touch our hearts. Anyone that's weary or heavy burden, he wants to give you rest. He wants to give you rest this morning. If you've not ever received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's knocking on the door this morning. He's saying, come to me. Come answer the door. I want to dine with you. I want to spend time with you. If you're here and you're wanting the the torment to go away, you're wanting that peace that Jesus offers, peace in your mind, peace in your heart, peace in your soul, peace in your emotions. If you're wanting that this morning, come forward. Jesus, we thank you. We bless you. We worship your holy and righteous name. Thank you, Jesus.